Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back. Today's show is brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Best in new inventory Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, outstanding. And not only that, uh, they also have great pre owned inventory, and it has the Sunbury Motors guarantee. Great sales staff, they work with you, and also a fabulous service department to back all of it up. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Roots 11 and 15, Hummel's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Time now for our play by play call of the day. Jake Paul beats Tyron Woodley with a split decision to remain unbeaten. And he's now emboldened to throw right hands, Woodley. But will he be countered in doing I don't know how you feel, Al. I disagree with Jake's team. Longer this goes, I think it will favor Woodley. We're going to start to see him look a little better. I think Jake is getting a little tired. Well, he seems to be a little bit. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I think they were basing it on the sparring sessions, but at this juncture, he's... He's only throwing 12 punches, so he's going to need to be a little more active at lands of the Oh, and that left landed for Paul. The crowd eating up every single second. They anticipate. There's a left hook curling behind the bar. The jab, another jab by Paul on Woodley. They could steal this round. They are close. There's a right hand by Paul, and Woodley nailed it with the left. And that right hand decision, and still undefeated. The problem. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and joined by the outstanding, the incomparable, the main man of the NFL, Neil Kulong. Sir, welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, what was what was that Friday? Just preseason oh, game boy. four or <laughs> more? <laughs> it was kind of funny to me because the, the aftermath of that would be uh, the Ravens winning their 20th consecutive pregame and the, the preseason game and the, the pomp and circumstance that went with that. Um, the Steelers clearly are not interested in such a streak. Um, they're, they're, it really, the preseason should be measured less by result and more by uh, individual assignment completion. Um, this really kind of goes in line with what uh, Mike Tomlin often says, you know, the, the varsity versus the junior varsity performances. And I think he first thing he even said after that game was it was a junior varsity performance. Um, from a team perspective, if we kind of put that to the side, I think that's fairly irrelevant. But it, it, what stuck out to me more than anything is it, 
the Steelers offense, defense, and some of their special teams lost pretty much every situational opportunity that, that either of them had. And that oftentimes comes down to the individual. And when we're talking about the individual in a game like that, the first guy that you've got to point out is, is Dwayne Haskins. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was awful. I mean, really, it, it's it, it, the, the biggest misnomer I think that uh, I, I saw anyway, the biggest reaction that I saw was uh, he's going up against ones or the play calling wasn't very good. The play calling is an issue in the preseason. None of that matters when you can't complete a, a simple swing pass to a fullback that, that's crossing your face. I mean, it throws uh, simple out routes, five, seven-yard out routes. He needs to be able to hit to stay in the NFL, let alone to be the backup, let alone to compete for a starting position at some point. Uh, he missed on everything. I don't know if he was too hyped up, if he made too much of it uh, for himself mentally, but he wasn't sharp at all. Uh, really a, a poor performance from him all around. And one that I feel uh, really kind of takes away the idea that we can ignore his past struggles. We can ignore the bad film that he put out on the field in Washington we have to look at what we saw, and we saw some good stuff from him for sure. But in his his biggest moment, the biggest opportunity that he had, his longest you know continued stretch of playing, he was awful. He really did not make more than maybe two, three good throws, and he made probably seven or eight really bad ones. So uh, that that absolutely hurt. And from there, I think the, the defense really was playing uh, for their own purposes. They weren't really matching up with the situation very well. We saw odd times to, to send blitzers we saw kind of a, you know different uh, uh coverage packages that you're probably not going to see uh in in those down and distances in the regular season they're really just trying to work guys out in a live environment and see what they're they're capable of doing so um you, you've got to play well though you've got to be able to execute and i didn't really see anybody on the field uh friday night who executed very well uh did I miss something, or like you know, they said we was going up against the ones in the regular season? Don't you go up against the ones? I think you do. Um, that's that's a good strategy, at least. I think most of the NFL will employ that. Um, Steelers, keep in mind, they don't even get the the ones in, in traditional Cleveland and Cincinnati this year. You know, those yeah. are going to be better units. So, it, it, top to bottom, yeah. I mean, Haskins, he, he's a far away call right now from a guy that you. Uh, would feel okay with being on the field. And that really has kind of been the ceiling for his competition in Mason Rudolph. So that decision, if there really was a true competition, um, I, I take on the mentality of a champion versus challenger model. The challenger has to, to convincingly knock off the champion. And Haskins, if he had an opportunity to do that, and I could be talked into to the possibility that if he tore it up in this last game, you, you might have more of a, 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 a decision to make there. But uh, the challenger absolutely did not unseat the champion in this case. And it, I don't know if there's even really a competition moving forward. It was that bad for him, in my opinion. Um, he, he had the opportunity to make something of the position he was in, to, to make a strong step forward for what I feel uh, his highest and best was moving into next season, more so than this year. Uh, this one's going to dog him for a while, I, I think. It, it's not uh, perhaps a career ender. I don't think they're going to cut him. But it was pretty bad. They're they're uh, they're further behind, I think, than many people would have thought that they would have been. Actually, I was going to ask that. I mean, in terms of like it, him flirting with the cut line, you don't think he's flirting with it? Um, here's the thing. I mean, I with know, the, I know, the final I know, cut. I know monetarily, he's he's relatively cheap. I got that. That ironically is his best asset. <laughs> the, the lack of assets is is, is his biggest value. 
Um, it, with the, the expansion of the practice squad, they're still going to be at 16 this year. With the ability to put players up to six players of two years or more experience, or two year, more than two years of experience on the practice squad, I could see the team if they really needed a roster spot somewhere. Because also keep in mind, they can expand game day rosters up to 55. So they, they could theoretically put a quarterback on the practice squad in an effort to not pay him really more than anything and protect him and keep him there and use him as needed. I could see them wanting to use that um, in, in theory. I think in reality, it, it's you're really pinching pennies at that point. I, I don't think they need to do that with a quarterback position. They could keep him on the roster and, and not dress him on game days anyway. Uh, I think that's probably what they're going to do. If, if nothing else, keep him on the roster, keep him involved. Uh, putting him on the practice squad isn't going to help. you got to keep in mind, he, he's on year-to-year contract. He doesn't right. have to sign next year in Pittsburgh. He's going to go restricted free agency. I'd imagine they're going to go uh, whatever lowest tender they could um, to, to not have to pay him, but it's still going to be $2.53 million somewhere in there. But he might have an option. He might get another look somewhere else, and, and not putting him on your roster now might lead to that. They might not want uh, to, to go down that route later. That would keep him on the roster. But none of that says we really want this guy. We, we have, you know, we see a bright future for him now. I'm not sure they're at that point. I think really he's he's going to be a a, a a cheap option who's started in the NFL before, and the Steelers really value backups who have starting experience. And right now that that that's that's Haskins, but he's no better than the three on that team. Right. Okay. Uh, the Steelers had to play four preseason games. Uh, as did the Cowboys. Everybody else had to play three. Everyone says we're warping toward the possibility of two. As, as you're sitting there watching a fourth preseason game, it probably became obvious, like, who needs this? Uh, so, you know, what number do you think is right where you feel like, just at your observation, that that's just enough work that we get to see as opposed to um, other days? I think it's it's up to the individual. I I think um, if this is leading into to TJ Watt's situation, I think they know what they have with TJ Watt. I think a player right. like Jameer Jones, who's probably the MVP of the preseason, I, I think they needed to get him as much work as possible. And every time that guy got on the field, he he hit the quarterback. So uh, it, it worked out well for him to have that level of exposure, those reps. Uh, some guys are going to need that more than others. And I also think, and this is something that uh, Tomlin has often done in the preseason, he runs the younger guys through the ground. You know, he, he really, I, I remember it wasn't that long ago, T.J. Watt was a rookie. Bud Dupree was a rookie. Those guys played every snap of every game in the preseason. They needed reps. They needed work. Uh, both of them were, were pretty raw coming out of college, and they needed, uh, you know, as many snaps as they could get to acclimate, to acclimate themselves to the, the, you know, as much of the pro game as they could see at that point. Uh, the counter to that would be Najee Harris, a uh, player who didn't play at all in the last game. All signs indicate that he's probably a 250-plus touch guy this year. Um, and in, in wake of J.K. Dobbins going down to the, Ra- the the Ravens, you have to wonder, do you want the, the physical positions, your your skill guys, uh, going out there for reps that they may not need? Now, I, I'd argue that Harris was much further along in his development than, say, Dupree or Watt were right. when they were rookies. Yes. So it, it, the, the work might not be as necessary there, but... Um, yeah, if, if you're John Harbaugh, you really want to win. <laughs> you really want to win 20 consecutive preseason games. Yeah. You uh, you put your running back out there, I guess. I don't know, but it, it this is it, it depends on the situation. 
Um, I'm, I'm of the belief, this is the way that I was taught, you, you don't get better at the game of football by not playing it. So if it's a young guy that needs to work value or not, he needs to work. Uh, injury is always going to be a risk. There's no way to avoid that. Um, even if he doesn't play, he's going to have to play at some point. Uh, they gave him two days off after that game, and they're going to start into what's essentially a bye week now before the, the regular season week preparation starts. Um, they have time to rest up and, and recover. And if a guy gets injured, um, you know, Marcus Allen, for example, uh, in a, a, a tough roster spot, uh, it sounded like he, he tweaked the hamstring. That might put his job at jeopardy, but he needed to be out there to, to, to play to show his worth and to get better. So it, it's, it, it has to be taken situation by situation. And it, it's easy to look at all of that in, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty view and, and say that, well, he shouldn't have been out there at all. They're out there for a reason. Um, injuries are, are the unfortunate uh, you know, downside of all of that, but you can't ever plan for an injury anyway. You can't prepare for an injury. You've got to put your guys out there and, and you know, have them play 100% and go from there. All right, so uh, when you look at you know, this time between now and the opener, what does Mike Tomlin like to accomplish? And then the follow-up is, what is the status of T.J. Watt? Um, I think there, there are definitely answers to both of that. I, I'll start with the Watt situation just because I think that if there is a domino effect to be had here, it's going to be with that. I think all signs have, have pointed strongly to there being a deal for Watt. Um, along with that, keep in mind, this is also important. Everybody, the, the report that came out was that, uh, Watt wasn't going to have a contract until the preseason was over. Preseason is over, but they gave the team two days off following that. They haven't practiced yet. They're, they're scheduled to practice today. I would imagine this is the day he's going to sign the contract. Okay. Um, if, if the, it would seem the most sensible now because if you look at it minute to minute, he doesn't want to play preseason football. I get it. That makes sense for, for him considering who he is and, and what he has at stake. Um, what's the point of signing it on Saturday when he's not, you know, he's not needed for anything until Monday anyway? Um, he probably went home, you know, he probably went back to Wisconsin and <laughs> took two days off to, to hang out for a little bit. Then he'll come back, he'll sign the contract, he'll practice. That's today, tomorrow. This is really, it, like I said, this is a bye week anyway. They're not preparing for right. an opponent this week. They're just going to sharpen up. So it might be longer than, than you know, today as well. Uh, that said, um, I, I'll spare you the gory details, but you can probably put Watt's contract somewhere in the range of about five years, 150 million, about 110 of that guaranteed. Um, the structure of that is really kind of where the the, uh, the story is going to be. But that's going to be his contract. I would say his cap number this year is going to end up around 17. Right. Now that that's a, a plus seven million on what he already is costing. So take seven off of their cap. They have about 10 million in space. This is a team that tends to operate with about four to seven million in space in a regular season. So I would I would think, and I'm obviously looking way down the line on this. I think that there's another signing or extension there for them uh, that they, they could potentially uh, undergo. And we've seen Kevin Colbert many times over the years. Uh, he loves August transactions. He's always active on on the waiver wire, uh, seeing who's going to be cut. Now, if final cuts are Tuesday, you're looking at the opportunity uh, to see what else is out there in the rest of the league. Who else they're going to get rid of? Uh, there might be a bargain in there for him. They might bring in a guy. A lot of people are talking about, uh, you know, perhaps cornerback depth. Uh, Shakur Brown, I think, was a kid that they hoped uh, would have the opportunity to, to contribute a little bit this year. They cut him. 
uh, rightfully so, in my opinion. He did not have a very good preseason. They might need some depth at a, a, a slot cornerback position. They might need a, a real pure slot cornerback. I'm not sure they have that. Um, I do think, though, they want to get versatile with that. They don't necessarily uh, have have to have a, a veteran cover guy in that spot. They, they've, they've loaded it up a bit. Antoine Brooks, before he was injured and released uh, and, and put on IR, uh, they had him lined up for that. that that's a, a kind of a hybrid defensive back type in the slot to, to support around the line of scrimmage, to cover short, to be a more physical presence. Uh, but they don't have, I don't think Arthur Mallette is really a pure corner, a pure cover kind of guy uh, like they've had in the past. I'm not sure they have that right now. The best option they have truly is probably Cam Sutton. So you put James Pierre on the outside, he's your nickelback, Sutton moves inside. That's one way to look at it. But it, Tomlin is, has referenced a couple times throughout camp uh, the, the idea of a situational nickel. Is in they, they have multiple guys that can play multiple roles uh, with that, that fifth defensive back on the field. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they look around the market to see if something's there. I don't know if they're targeting anything in particular, but if it's there, I, I wouldn't be surprised to, make, to, to see him make a move at that spot. Right, back finally to to quarterbacks. Everybody takes a different approach. We obviously have dissected the Steelers' approach repeatedly over the past month. But Brady played a little bit this weekend. A couple of other guys that were starters played a little bit this weekend. Um, some play them in the in the third. Some you know you know some don't play them at all. How interested have you been by just the pure question of approach? Because I mean, it's it just all it's all personal taste, but just by everybody's approach. I think it, it's interesting in the sense that you you took uh, you, we're we're used to four preseason games. You know, we're used to a real schedule with that. Um, depending on the, the the status of the starter, that you could probably map out uh, the types of situations that player was going to play in. But uh, you mentioned Brady. Brady is the guy that would normally play in the third preseason game, right? right. That that's the one that kind of your final dress rehearsal as the cliche, you know, the, the, as the cliche goes. There's certainly no rule set that that has to be the right. case, but it does make logical sense. Without the fourth game, I think a lot of teams treated the third game like it was the third game, you know? So I, I don't know if they changed up a whole lot of stuff. Uh, this is the last one now, but it, it's serving more as this is the final tune-up, like we would have approached it as the third preseason game in the past. Uh, to reference it again, this is a bye week now. There's nothing going on this week uh, before preparation begins for uh, the regular season. So in reality, it, it matches up with uh, the, the, the fourth preseason game if there was a week after that. Uh, that hasn't been the case in the past. So um, I think it, it made sense to get starters out for, for their third preseason game. Um, the Steelers didn't follow that, I think, because they played four. Right, exactly. So it, Tampa Bay, it makes a lot more sense to have Brady playing in the third and then have two weeks off before he had to, to uh, put on the pads in front of the stadium and get out and play again. You know, there's there's time in there to, uh, you know, to, to tweak and to, to rest and, and get ready to go. Um, I, I think really what, I think what you're asking essentially is what preseason game was eliminated? Was it the third one or was it the fourth one? And right. I think for the teams that played, uh, three preseason games, what we saw is they eliminated the fourth one. Um, the, the starters played in their third game, and now they have time to, to, to rest. I mean, the games that I watched, we saw you know pretty starter-heavy uh, for many of them, and that included uh, Carolina. You know, they, they, their, uh, their starting quarterback played, what, pretty much the whole first half, didn't he? Wasn't Darnold out there for a lot of that? You're, you're going to mix in you know guys here and there, and I, I get that. But by and large, it was still 
kind of viewed as as a tune-up for their starters uh, leading into the regular season. Always a pleasure, my friend. Try to stay dry. Appreciate it. Definitely. I'm going to. It's been, it's been crazy here the last couple of days, so hopefully we'll get some uh, sun out here and enjoy the bye week before the, the real work starts. Sounds great. Thanks, Neil. Yep. Thanks for having me. Neil Gulong, next half hour, Mike Lang. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kier Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. The day that Mike Lang entered this profession, the profession got richer. The day that Mike Lang exits the profession, the profession gets poorer. With that, we bring in the legendary Mike Lang. Mike, welcome. It's always a pleasure. Uh, it's my pleasure, Steve. I've enjoyed the talks we've had and. Uh... Uh, I hope we can still continue along the way because I enjoy the show. I really do. No, and we will absolutely continue to have you back. Mike, timing is everything in life. So let's start at least at the end here. What was right about the timing for you to say, all right, it's time now? Well, I ran out of phrases, so I had to. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best, best answer I've heard ever. <laughs> No, I, you know, I think as many people uh, are per- somewhat aware, I've been cutting back as far as the travel is concerned and and doing games, uh, you know, the last couple of years. And we've gotten to the point now, with uh, especially with the COVID uh, situation and everything involved, that I just thought if I can get to this year, the 2021, and do a game, I'd have 50 years of doing pro hockey. Started with a. Uh, a stint in 1971 with the Phoenix Roadrunners in the Western League, and uh, it would make 50 years, and I was able to accomplish that. And uh, Steve Blass, who's a dear friend, and I did some baseball with him in the 80s, had uh, just retired the year before, and I, we still stay so close. And uh, being my hero, I decided to follow his footsteps. I just think it was the right time for me. Uh, I mean, we we had so much success here over the years and uh, I just enjoyed everything I did with it but I think it's time for a young guy to get his feet wet and Josh Getzoff certainly will be doing that with Phil Bork and I think we're in good hands and uh, I hope they can get a total of 50 years in themselves to enjoy what I was able to do here uh, from the city of Pittsburgh. 
Mike, along the way, when you get into this, uh, mentors and people that you know either open doors for you in terms of their style or professionally or help you out or listen to what you're doing means so much. I mean, everyone knows I've told everybody here that Gil Santos, who for years did the Patriots, did Penn State for a few years, and I was the third guy. I learned so much just sitting there. Along the way, who is that kind of person for you? I mean, you have to be Mike Lang, but who is that person for you? Well, I go back to really when I became really enthralled and uh, uh, was determined to uh, be a broadcaster, and I was nine years old. I just had it in my blood. That's what I wanted to do. Baseball was my choice at that time, and the San Francisco Giants had just moved uh, west from New York. And uh, listening to their broadcast and the uh, great voice of uh, Vince Scully when they arrived and and became a part of uh, the West Coast, uh, just piqued my interest so much. Another guy there who really probably had as much influence as anything would be Bill King, who yeah. did the San Francisco Warriors and uh, used a great phrase in the Raiders of uh, the American Football League and used a phrase, Holy Toledo. And every time he did that, <laughs> I just had chills go down my back in the moment of the game. And I, I said to myself even then, I said, I- I'm going to try and do some phrases. I want to do something if I get into it. And that's where it was kind of born. And then <clears throat> my first job, as it turned out, excuse me, uh, turned out to be in Phoenix, Arizona, and I couldn't have been a better place for me to start because Al McCoy, uh, who is still the most tenured yes. uh, broadcaster in the NBA, was there doing the hockey games, and I ended up actually getting a job working with him for the last half of the season in 71. And then he went to the Phoenix Suns. And when he did, I was able to move in and become a play-by-play broadcaster. He taught me so much about broadcasting, particularly. You know, you have, you have to realize, uh, and you and I are a little fortunate in, in getting our, our feet wet and so much uh, the radio side of it, but that's all there was at that time, radio. Mm-hmm. So you had to be pretty descriptive and, and be able to use your craft uh, to convey what was going on. And so... Uh, he taught me so much about how to do that and uh, made me a better broadcaster. And then I was able to work my way. Uh, I thought I was going to go to San Diego my whole life. Uh, got a job there in 73 uh, doing um, uh, hockey there with the Western Hockey League. And I uh, thought that I would be there hopefully for baseball too to uh, be a <clears throat> greedy guy and do both sports. Right. But it didn't turn out that way. The world hockey moved in. And that league went defunct, and I ended up trying to get a job, and I ended up in Pittsburgh. So uh, it, it was a, a different trip for a guy that was a native Californian, five generation. Everybody's back home still. I was the only one that ended up taking a covered wagon and going the other <laughs> way. <laughs> so what was it? What kind of adjustment was it? Now, you're in the NHL, so you're one of the few that are in the NHL back back in the 70s. I mean, there's only, as you and I know, a limited number of jobs. Yep. Well, what kind of adjustment was it for a Sacramento guy to then suddenly get to Pittsburgh? Well, it's interesting you say that, and I think you could probably relate to at times on major sports that you eventually moved up the ladder and called important games. Now, that was the biggest jump for me. I had had a goal to be in the major leagues. Now, it, it didn't necessarily mean it was going to be hockey uh, by the time I was 26. Well, I accomplished that, but the first game, obviously, was on KDKA radio, 50,000-watt clear channel. You're aware of that. 
yeah. and uh, you're going by yourself, and I'm going to the Met Center in Bloomington, Minnesota, and I'm all by myself except for an engineer, which we never had, you know, in the minor leagues. And uh, I settle in, and I'm nervous as can be, and I get the job, and I start working the game, and it, it, it's going fairly well. And all of a sudden, it became a little smoother. We win the game, which probably was a blessing uh, for me because I was able to kind of feel more comfortable. And then when it was done, I went back to the hotel, and I sat down and said, you know, it, it really wasn't that much different from where I was. And with that attitude, I moved in, and it became a lot more comfortable. And I built from there. Um, you know, we all do. We're all, we learn from experience and uh, built it into something and uh, moved it forward and added a couple of phrases. And then the fans started responding crazily and uh, sending me things and wanting to know about can I use this phrase and that phrase and um, so it kind of built from there as far as the relationship with fans. So that's where it all started. And uh, Hopefully they had a good journey with me, and they know the fans do, and everybody that listened over the years uh, how much fun I had. And uh, I hope they had the same amount of fun, and they were smiling at the time. Oh, believe me, they were, all of us, everybody. Uh, the Early in your tenure, though, the Penguins as a franchise were not the most stable of groups and organizations. How tough was it to always hear the rumors about whether they were staying in Pittsburgh or not? You know, that's amazing, really. It's, it's a good question because most people would... Uh, well, I'll give you just a quick example. Uh, the first year I was here, I worked one year, and at the end of May of that year, Jack Button, who was the general manager, brought us into, a, into the Igloo Club, the private club, and he said, as of tomorrow, everybody... You're all unemployed, and well, well, what do you mean? You're all un- we're all unemployed. The team had gone bankrupt, and uh, so that opened. Uh, you know, the scramble was on. I ended up going back to San Diego for one year, and then the guy that replaced me, Gary Morrell, left after one year, and I came back and have been here ever since. But I once I came back, I I, I just felt such a, a, a feel back to the city. And, and want to, to succeed and, and keep it going. So it was kind of an impetus for me to say, okay, we'll show you what we can do. And that, those years, the Steelers, you got to realize, it just won a Super Bowl. Uh, they won four. Uh, <clears throat> the Pirates won in 79. And Pitt won a national championship in 1976. So we were yeah. uh, <clears throat> the blue and white down at the bottom of the totem pole. So it gave me another little bit of incentive to want to try and move up the ladder and make it a major sport in the city of Pittsburgh. And it was slow, uh, grinding, frustrating, no question, but it was all worthwhile, especially with the arrival of number 66, Mario Lemieux, who really gave the team the, the kick in the pants, if you will, to get over that edge and become a better hockey club and uh, go on to the success that they've had. So it was uh, it was fun for me. I learned very quickly on. There's another team on the other side, and they've got a lot of good stars. They got good people, the Canadians, a lot of. I, so I would build them up. You got to come and see these guys play. I mean, they're that good. Uh, so you use whatever is at your at your table, yeah. and uh, work with it. Try and create interest, and I I think we succeeded in some some way, yeah. to making people want to see the game of hockey itself. Don't I know it? You don't I know it? Um, 
So now I, I opened up my first question was about timing being the end. Now, life is also timing when it comes to other events. You mentioned Mario Lemieux. That literally yep. was going to be my next question anyway, so you anticipated me perfectly, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> but the, when he gets there, okay, what, you know, the impact he had, not just on the fan, the game, but what the kind of impact he had for you as the broadcaster that you were, you on an everyday basis were seeing something special? Well, uh, I, I, I knew he was going to be somewhat special. This is a, a, a kind of a story on the Pirates, but that first year we had training camp at Mount Lebanon High School uh, here in Pittsburgh, and it had a small rink. The players were going two, three times a day in those years uh, with two-a-day workouts, and then we had a black and gold. Uh, uh, no, it wasn't a black and gold game because, yes, it was, because we had changed the colors in the last Super Bowl. Anyway, uh, within the team, they they had a game at uh, this uh, arena. So it's in a suburb, and it doesn't hold a lot of people. And that night, there were approximately 3,000 people that came down to try and get into that building to see Mario play on that first night. On the same night, the Cubs had a chance to clinch with it, uh, the National League uh, Division Championship. And uh, they were playing the Pirates, and at Three River Stadium, they had 3,200, I believe, for that game, if not less. Mm. So it was a, it was an amazing thing to see. And as usual, you know, some uh, uh, <clears throat> energizing uh, person within the township of uh, Mount Lebanon saw all these cars and parked, and people trying to get in. And they went through and put tickets on all the cars that were parked there. <laughs> Which had them, they had to come back to their cars as mad as hell. But they survived it. And uh, uh, the rest is kind of history of what he has accomplished, you know, not only in his early years and uh, the Cups, but uh, as an owner, too, and, and being a great part of this community and always dedicated his life to. Obviously, then, of course, Sid comes in, and there's three more Stanley Cups, as as we all know. You did a lot of time between TV and radio. In the end, what was the passion for you? Was the passion being on TV, or was the passion for you being the radio radio guy, in retrospect? Well, uh, quite honestly, I had the advantage of both, because from uh, 82, I think, on, until we officially made a change of the of the uh, radio and the TV together, a simulcast. So I did those games all a simulcast. So I I, I could probably lean more on the radio side with a, a little more description uh, while I was doing the TV. But I didn't get any big complaints about it. But in '93, because of the satellites and the, and the difference in the timing, and uh, you know everything else used to be on landlines, as you well know, Steve. Oh. Uh, until the the advent of the uh, satellite, and then it became almost prohibited because of the delays. And uh, so, I stayed on television. Uh, they decided to make a change on the TV side. Fox did, and um, I went back to the radio. <clears throat> and and the blessing in disguise of it all is that I got to call every game of every playoff game, and the three cups uh, after that mm. uh, yeah. that the Penguins won. So. I've, I've done every game they've done in winning cups. I've uh, been able to broadcast it. If I'd have been on the TV side only, I wouldn't have done those games uh, for the three last three championships. So 
uh, it was rewarding to me, and I, I love the radio. And I, I had a great partner in Phil Bork. I love him to death. He's one of the better color men, I think, in the uh, NHL. Yep. Uh, he works so hard at his, uh, his his new job, if you will. He's become seasoned. He's become uh, comical. He's become good with timing. Uh, he's got all the whole package right now, and he's in demand among people around here, and, and rightly so. So uh, it, it's been fun, really, kind of moving along with him. Uh, but I do think it's time. And uh, uh, I put uh, 50 years in, and I think that's, that's a, a pretty good pace for uh, for anybody that's carried his bags for that long uh, and been able to do what he just really loved to do. Well, I know the feeling because, of course, I get to work side by side with Jack Ham. So yep, absolutely. I know, I know, I know how you feel. I mean, it's it's invaluable to have somebody that knowledgeable next to you, and it's invaluable to have somebody who has a great personality like that next to you. And you have you obviously had that with Phil, which is just I mean, that's yeah, they're just, and they're good that's people, gold. and they're humble. Yeah, and yep. uh, the way uh, this is why I love Pittsburgh so much. And I, I grew up in California, and I think, but, but your humbleness really is your greatest asset. If you yes. can do that and be good at something, boy, it's just so much easier to communicate with people. Yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of those Steelers from those early years, I met a lot of them, uh, are just so down to earth and such great people. And it's yep. easy to see why they related to each other. And uh, it warms my heart to, to see the success that they've had. And I'm not surprised Jack Ham is a is a uh, a terrific broadcaster, uh, and anything he would do, I think he'd be successful. Well, I'll end the way I started. The profession came became richer the day you entered it. It became poorer the day you decided not to do any more games. Mike, what? we will do this many more times. This won't be the last time we talk because I thoroughly enjoy talking with you. Thank you well, so much. Thank you so much for everything. And for all the great moments, all of us listened out of your voice. Hey, and I, you know, I, I said that the, the people have given me everything back, too, uh, with the accolades or the thought of watching and listening to games night after night. I just tell them, you know, whatever you do, keep smiling like a butcher's dog. And it's official. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has just left the building. A perfect way to end the segment with the legendary Mike Lang. A lot coming up as the week goes along because uh, we'll be talking a little bit about the Eagles. We have our high school football roundtable coming up on Thursday. We'll preview Penn State, Wisconsin as the week goes along. Uh, So we have a lot going on uh, with the opener. We watched Nebraska and Illinois. and I did get into a little bit yesterday about Nebraska and Illinois. And if we go back to our picks, of course, the King is going to join us on the show on Thursday. As a matter of fact, and we'll go through our picks again. And Nebraska is Nebraska. That's the bottom line. Everything has changed. When they had 105 scholarships and unlimited walk-ons and so forth, they could really do it their way. They can't do it that way anymore. In fact, Frank Solich was, what, 54 and 19, 55 and 19, some number like that. And, of course, it wasn't good enough, so they got rid of him. Okay. Well, I mean, that's your prerogative. That's how you want to do it. That, that That's fine uh, if you don't think you're getting enough out of that spot. What's interesting is that it's not you – know, if they were to bring back Frank Solich in his prime today, he could not go 53-19. and 19. 
not at Nebraska. Can't. And and to be honest with you, they should be the kind of because of their recruiting area, they really need to think, and they won't do this, but they're the kind of school that should be running triple option. That's what they should be running. Oh, it's too gimmicky. That's what they need, though. You know, Adrian Martinez is a decent college quarterback. He's not great, and Saturday was a good example. With a guy like him, you're going to get one of two things. You're either going to get eight in the box or you're going to get a team playing quarters. Or if you go five wide, it's the slot receivers that, that can exploit some of that quarter's coverage. He's not accurate enough to exploit it. He's just not. And that's a big problem. It, it, you know, Scott Frost cannot go in there with a magic wand and win. And you have a fan base that still thinks it is the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And it's not. And I'll give you a good example. James Franklin plays 2020s football because you need to recruit 2020s and you need to recruit and play 2020s football. You need to. You have to be adaptable with the times. And uh, and Nebraska is not adaptable with the times. They're just not. And that's, you know, and, and for Brett Bielema, you know, obviously, I, look, I thought they were going to win by a touchdown. So, I mean, I said that the other day. Interesting. But this week, it's Penn State and Wisconsin. Wisconsin has its way of playing. Graham Mertz is a good quarterback. They love to run the ball. They play that 3-4 defense. So we've got a lot going on as the week progresses, including our high school roundtable on Thursday and the King on Thursday. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Humble's Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK.